So, we, all, we wonder and speculate, is there intelligent non-human life out there somewhere in the universe? Maybe even, maybe it's visited us, maybe it, it hasn't. And actually, the church hasn't really taught anything on that. I have my own opinion on that. But it's interesting to me how, how fascinated we are with that. I want to talk to you today about extraterrestrials who I really know do exist. Okay, so when's the first time an angel's mentioned? Right, at Genesis. So Adam and Eve, have, have they've fallen, passed out of the Garden of Eden, and what does God place? A cherub angel to, that has a flaming sword that guards the Garden of Eden. Um, give me one second here, I'm going to be referencing my Bible on my phone. So, um, then you go to the end of, what's the last book of the Bible, right? It's the Revelations, guess what? A lot of angels in Revelations, okay? Let's just look at, at one passage, which is important and we'll talk about later, which is Revelations uh, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. So just give me a second here. So this is the war in heaven that is described. Now arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So you had the beginning and the end of the Bible. Let's look at it, just think of a couple other places. You remember the story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Well, God sent... Uh, angelic visitors in the guy in the disguise of human form, and they actually went to check out what was happening there. Remember, they weren't too nice to the visitors, and they uh, they blinded the people who were trying to assault them with a, a flashing light. Um, let's go a little further in salvation history. Of course, if you read the Gospel of Luke, the beginning of of uh, of the uh, the story of first of all the the conception of John the Baptist, the conception of Jesus. Who's a major character in that? The angel Gabriel, right? The angel Gabriel is sent to announce to, to uh, Zechariah, John's father, and to Mary um, the plan that God had for them in salvation history. Then you also look in the life of Jesus. We see angels are a part of his life as well. They're just mentioned in a couple places. Remember when he was tempted for 40 days in the desert? Um, Jesus, after that, uh, one of the gospel accounts, sorry, we're going to, I'm not catching up here on this. The war in heaven. All right. The Annunciation. Let's go. We'll go back to this one in a second. Um, the uh, Jesus is is tempted in the in the desert, and then and he says angels came and ministered to him. Jesus himself spoke about angels a couple times in one of the passages. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always behold the face of my Father in heaven. So this is where we, we come up with the idea of guardian angels. That every person has an angel. We'll talk more about that later. So just think about that for a moment. How many, how many persons are in this room right now? Maybe a hundred, right? Plus a hundred, at least another hundred angelic persons. Real beings present with us now. We have um, really neat angelic appearance. This is, remember, after Jesus was die, he died, he was put in a tomb. 
the, the women come to anoint his body. Let's, let's just look real quick at, uh, at what happened there. So this is Matthew chapter 28, the story, the resurrection account. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. So we see the important role that angels have in the ministry of Jesus in announcing his resurrection. And then we see them in the life of the church. How many of you are familiar with the book of Acts, right? The book of Acts is the story of the early church, and it's a great read. I really encourage you. There is all kinds of drama, uh, danger. There are heroes. There are villains. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an accurate history of the early church. But you might remember that right, you know, right after um, the resurrection and the, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to preach Jesus. But guess what? They are also persecuted. And on one occasion, Peter was put into prison and he was chained. And we read here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. The very night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So you can see this is high security. I mean, they have two soldiers sleeping next to Peter, right? And he's bound and chained. Herod was determined that no one was going to break him out. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your mantle around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was done by the angel was real, for he thought he was seeing a vision. And then, in fact, he found out that he had, in fact, been delivered from, from captivity. So that's the, um, the story of Peter being freed by an angel. So we have the data of Scripture, and we have the teaching of the church. Now, the church um, has always believed in angels because they're revealed in Scripture, but hadn't really defined anything about them until the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215. Now, if you know anything about church councils and the formulation of dogma, oftentimes they don't formulate a dogma until it's been challenged, okay? So the church has always believed in that Jesus, for example, is... um, it's fully equal with the Father, has the same nature as the Father, but it wasn't until Arius challenged that that they had the Council of Nicaea that they made it clear and they defined it. That's why we say in the Creed, God from God, light from light, right? So there was a controversy, then the church defined it. So what was the controversy in the, in the 13th century that, that the Fourth Lateran Council was called to address? It was called the heresy of Albigensianism, right? You probably never heard of it. Uh, there's actually a, a funny joke about Dominicans and Jesuits. There was a Dominican priest teaching a history class. And uh, one of the students raised his hand. And he said, uh, Father, which is, uh, tell me about the difference between Dominicans and Jesuits. And the priest said, well, in a simple way, 
Dominicans were founded to combat the heresy of Albigensianism, and Jesuits were founded to combat the heresy of Protestantism. The boy raised his hand again. He said, Father, which is better, Jesuits or Dominicans? The Dominican said to him, have you met any Albigensians lately? Right? There are no more Albigensians, right? The, the, the Dominicans, you know, the Jesuits, they tried. So anyways. So how, what, did, what did the Albigensians believe? They believed basically that there was a good God and a bad God. The good God made the spirit world. The bad God made the physical world, including the human body. And the good God sent a, 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 a messenger, Jesus, to tell people how to get out of this this bad world created by the evil, this evil God. So it was in that context, that, that cosmology, that the church also defined that there is only one God who created all things. Now, how do we say it in the creed now? All things visible and invisible. So there's no other God. There, there are, though, other beings. They talked about what those beings were. So this, was, uh, this is also repeated in the Vatican Council I in 1870. From the very beginning, the uh, God from the very beginning of time has created both orders of creatures in the same way out of nothing, the spiritual or angelic world in the corporal or visible universe. And afterwards, he formed the creature man, who in a way belongs to both orders, as he is composed of spirit and body. So the first, of course, kind of objection you encounter when you're talking about angels in our day is what? We can't see them. We can't touch them, right? We're all basically, most of us, influenced by what is called a materialist philosophy. And the materialist philosophy says that the only things that are real are things that can be measured, things that can be experimented on, things that have matter, right? Phys- the physical world. So that certainly would be one objection to the existence of angels. Now, there's, there would be different ways of responding to that, but the, the, the first and most... Um, uh, the, for the first way you respond to materialism before you would talk about angels is to talk about God. So there's a lot of rational arguments that are made for the existence of God. And I would encourage you, if you ever get want to know more about some of these, there's a great book called The Handbook of Catholic Apologetics by a man named Peter Kraft. And has at least a dozen arguments for the existence of God. You know, just um, one of the simple ones, the, the Kalam argument. Have any of you heard of that? Everything that, um, everything that uh, begins to exist has a cause, right? Things just can't begin to exist without a cause. Do you agree with that premise? The universe began to exist. How is that premise established? The Big Bang, right? There was a beginning point for the time-space continuum and all matter in the world 15 billion years ago. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Very, very simple argument. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The the, uh, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And now, if you think about what kind of thing must have caused the kind of universe we have, then you start thinking about a being that has some of the attributes of God, right? Extremely intelligent, extremely powerful. In any event, so the very fact that, that there are rational arguments for the existence of God is a response to the materialist objection. It doesn't get us quite to angels just yet, but it gets us also, there's, a, there's another sort of thing where it's kind of, uh, people don't believe that miracles happen. They believe that the um, material world is a closed system, that things just happen. And if, and if someone claims there's a miracle, well, they were mistaken, and there must have been some kind of natural explanation for it, right? You've probably, you, they'd, be, they'd be called skeptics as it comes to miracles. There's a philosopher uh, named David Hume who, who basically, his argument against miracles was, 
if, any, if ever there's a reported miracle, it's more probable than not that there was a natural explanation for it. And basically, we always have to go with the more probable explanation. But really, that would be an argument against anything improbable ever happening. You would always would have to go with whatever was the most likely thing. We know that improbable things happen. We know that from our life experience. We know that statistically. The argument for miracles really is an argument um, based on individual accounts of miracles. Have you ever heard of um, the uh, appearance of Our Lady at, at Fatima in 1917? Witnessed by, or the, or the miracle of the sun was witnessed by 70,000 people all at the same time, seeing the spinning sun. They were wet from rain. Their clothes dried. There was atheist reporters that described something that is impossible to explain naturally and is easily explained based on the account of the children who said this will happen on this day because this woman told us it will happen. So there are actual um, miracles that have good, um, good evidence for them. Any of you know about the life of Padre Pio? Right? So if you have people who are skeptics, don't believe in miracles, that's one of the, the, good, the good things to do is to say, okay, what about, what about these recent events in, in recent history that are recorded and documented? What I'm getting at is this. The materialist worldview is wrong. That the world, the universe, has a lot more going on than what can be um, studied by science. Okay? So science teaches us a lot of things. Science is great. You know, we can fly in a plane because of science, right? We can drive our cars and talk on our phones. Great, it's wonderful, but it's not the entire way of knowing reality. So now, I think a lot of people actually, even though this is a view that dominates in the academia, I also think most people aren't really materialists. Most people believe that there's more than we can see to life whether it's ghosts, whether it's really strange coincidences that they can't seem to explain, and they attribute it to some kind of divine intervention, most people have the sense of the mystery of the universe. The other um, kind of almost a philosophical argument for the existence of angels has to do with the hierarchy of being. And what this means is this. You can, we can look at, study the natural world, right? And we can study things that are from the simplest thing to the most complex thing, right? From things that are, that, um, that are, that are just, just an atom all the way up to, let's say, before we get to man, right? A primate, okay? Or, or a dolphin, a very high, and we can see a gradations, right? There are more intelligent, uh, there, are, there are more, you could say, um, beings with higher dignity, with more of the attributes, fullness of being, and we can see this whole range of things. Now imagine if there was, um, there was just rocks and then there was animals. There was no plants in between. We'd almost have this sense that there was something that was missing that should be there. I mean, we see this continuum, don't we? We see this continuum. Well, then, if you, if you believe in God but you don't believe in angels, so you get through this continuum from, from, uh, from minerals all the way to man... Right? And then you go up to God, and there's nothing in between God and man. There's nothing on that hierarchy of being, that continuum. And from our understanding of how God created the visible world, with all this richness, all this diversity, and this continuum of being, we could also speculate or deduce that there is, in fact, a whole other world between us and God of beings that are higher on this hierarchy of being. And, in fact, that, that is what the, what the case is. So what is an angel exactly? They are spiritual creatures, okay? Talk about in, in, in a second. Superior to humans, often commissioned by God for certain duties on earth. 
So the name angel refers to what they do, which are their office, which they are messengers. That's what the name angel means. But what is an angel? An angel is a spirit, a spiritual being. So I want us to try to think about angels by understanding ourselves a little better. What are we? We're humans, okay. What are we exactly? We're really smart animals, maybe. Yeah, we, we're, philosophers will say we're rational animals. What are we? What are we made of? Let's ask that. Okay, yeah. So we are interesting creatures because we're like animals. We share with them many features, physical features. But there's something else to us that we can't reduce to physical reality. And that's where we start talking about what, what uh, Alan talked about, a soul, body-soul composite. So this immaterial component of ourselves, the soul, we would say, actually uh, uh, animates the body, informs the body. Um, but we're like caught between two worlds. We're like uh, the physical world and this other world, a world of ideas, the world of, of spirit. Um, the soul, the mind, the intellect, the will, the emotions, these help us to understand something about angels. Angels have those things. They have, they have intellect and they have will. Um, that's what spirit means. Now, again, to go back to the materialist objection, um, is uh, let's think about something like math, for example. Two plus two equals four. Everyone agrees with that? You can't deny that, right? I mean, you would just—you would have to be insane to deny that, right? Now, does two plus two equal four only if there are two objects and two objects that you can count to make four? Or would it be true even if there was no physical matter at all? It would be true even if there was no... We know this in our minds, that this is a reality, it's a truth that is not dependent on the existence of things, right? So this is, again, an immaterial truth, right? It's, it's a concept that is truth to it. Even you can apply that to other things, right? Love, justice, even if there isn't a particular person uh, um, to, to, to show what justice is, we can, we, can, we can conceive and we know that justice is the reality. That's how we measure, for example, oftentimes we can judge another action, even if it's um, accepted by a certain um, society as being immoral because it, what? it, it doesn't meet up to a, an ideal of justice that we, per, that we perceive and understand. So there are these immaterial things that are real. And the hardest thing that we have is to think that, is to, is to realize how real immaterial things are. You know, I mean, this table, it's real. I can hit it, right? But, um, but an angel, you know, I don't know. You kind of almost think of them as just this ethereal things. You, you know, your hand would pass through them, right? And so because we measure realness according to the physical reality. So there's a great a book by C.S. Lewis in which he, uh, it's called The Great Divorce, and I'll talk about another of his books later, but it's about this bus ride from hell to heaven. And it's a chance for these souls there to actually, they're invited to come into heaven, but each of them has their reasons why they don't want to go inside. Okay, so it's a really interesting thing on the psychology of hell. But one of the little details he does is, he t- is when they get, they're not quite at heaven, they're the, the, the antechamber to heaven. There's grass there. And the grass is, so the reality of heaven is so, he's trying to say so concrete that it actually hurts their feet. It's like stepping on blades because they are actually further away from being. But heaven, 
the fullness of being. And because angels are higher in the hierarchy of being, they're more real, more real even than the physical world. The other thing to think about, too, is, is uh, death experiences. So people who have died, been clinically dead, and have experienced things. There's a wide range of experiences. I'm not meaning to say that all of them are, are proof of what the people say that they experience, they experience. But there's so many of them that I think it's hard to deny that we have a, um, a mental reality that doesn't necessarily cease when our physical bodies die, right? Have you guys all heard of that? What was that, what that movie, that five-year-old, Heaven's for Real? So there's, there's a lot of, and I, I, I meet people who've had death experience, pretty amazing, some, some of the, the things that they talk about. But So our, um, we have a, a, a consciousness that is not dependent on our bodies. Now, our consciousness, of course, and our minds, um, while we're in this life, are always um, mediated through our bodies, right? So I, you and I, we can't have a conversation just telepathically, right? For me to communicate an idea to you, I have to speak it. it has to, you know, I have to, my brain has to fire some neurons that control my vocal cords, that, that vibrate something, that send a sound wave, that hits your ears, right? So our, our ability, firstly, to communicate uh, an idea is still mediated through a physical reality. And so in this life, our um, spiritual reality is mediated through our physical reality, but it is not entirely dependent upon it, okay? So angels share with us this, uh, on the spiritual side of our nature, that we share that with them. So again, spirit, non-material reality, intellect and will. So even when we say God is spirit, what are we really saying about God? He's immaterial and what? Intellect and will. God has intellect and will. So what's intellect for? It's to, to know. So the intellect is, reaches its proper fulfillment when we know the truth. We know what really is. What's the will for? It's to choose, right? And what is, when does the will reach its, its, its fulfillment? When we love. Okay? So spirit has capacity to know and to love. Um, spirit, of course, all of these are implicit in the first thing. Don't have size, don't have color, don't have parts, don't have gender. But we know also that angels can appear with a body. Now, I don't, we don't know if, um, how, how that works exactly, but there's a story, if you know the story of Tobit, where, where Tob- uh, Tobiah has a traveling companion that's with him for a long time, and it seems like just another guy, but it turned out to be the angel Raphael. Okay, so even for a long time, he was basically wearing this, this human costume. As scripture says, many have entertained angels unawares. So there are, you've probably heard some stories, right? Someone's in some dire situation, um, and someone shows up out of nowhere, helps them, and disappears. Now, it could be a situation where they just didn't see where they went, they weren't looking, or it could be, in fact, sometimes an angel coming in human disguise. Another, sorry, obviously uh, they also are neither male nor female. They don't have genders because they don't have bodies. Now, the other, the, one of the problems we, when we see angels depicted in, in art and a lot of um, kind of boutique-y things, how are they often portrayed? These cute little babies, right? You just want to pinch their cheeks, you know? Um, and that, if you were listening to a couple of the, references and scriptures that I read, that's not how scripture portrays them, right? 
So when they're not coming in human disguise and they're otherwise sort of manifesting their, themselves through, through a, a kind of appearance, what is the reaction of people who see them generally? Whoa, yeah they're, they're, yeah, they're afraid, they're in awe. In Revelations, John sees an angel, actually wants to worship him. The angel's like, I'm not God, you know. But, but so awesome was the angel that he wasn't sure that, that he wasn't God. So that's how awesome the angel was. So they're, they're powerful. They um, are fearsome and formidable. Um, they're, in fact, they are warriors. So most of you are regular mass-going Catholics, I think. And you remember we had a change in the translation of our mass, right? And so maybe some of you are still learning some of the mass parts, right? But if I say the Lord be with you, you'll say, all right. So no one also with you is there. Okay, so that one... <laughs> That one we've learned now. All right. So you may have noticed that there was a, a, diff- a change in the, in the translation of what we would call the holy, holy, the sanctus, right? We used to say, holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might. Okay? That's what we had in English. But that wasn't what it was in Latin. It was Deus Sabaoth, which means basically now what we say, God of hosts. Not God of the consecrated host. That's not what we're referring to. What do we mean when we say God of hosts? The armies. Hosts means armies. What armies are we referring to? The angelic armies. Okay? Because remember what we do in that part? We're, we're saying that we're going to sing the song of the angels and saints. And that's, and, and that's actually found in Isaiah and in Revelation. The song that we sing at Mass is a combination of those two. So they are the armies. Okay? So angels are not cute and cuddly. Um. They are fearsome and formidable. Again, we said not limited by uh, bodies. Uh, St. Peter, in his second letter, speaks of the angels as having greater strength and power than human beings. So they are more powerful than us. So part of the fact that they're um, more powerful is their intelligence. They are extremely, extremely intelligent, okay? It would be great if you could have them help you with, with, with your homework, but they don't do that, right? I mean, you know, that's not one of the things God put them here to do. But they could learn, they could learn calculus in a snap of an eye and be able, you know, and be able to use it. So they're extremely intelligent. Um, they, um, uh, they're not, however, omniscient. So they don't know everything. Um, for example, an angel cannot read your mind. You can communicate with an angel in a mental way, but you have to willingly be directing your, your thought to the angel. An angel cannot read your mind. Okay, so they're not omniscient. They don't know everything. But they know a lot. They're very intelligent. They can influence us by suggesting things to our minds. That's how angels influence us. Okay, so that the old uh, angel and the devil there, right? Okay. They can act on the material world. So, there's a what did I? What do we say about what happened with Peter? Remember, Peter had physical chains. What does the angel do? Psh, they're gone, right? So they don't do this a lot, or that that we're aware of, or that's recorded. But they can act in the physical world. There's a, a story about King David, where uh, in the book of Samuel, where he has he has offended God by taking a census. Some kind of sin of pride was involved in his taking of the census, and he's allowed to choose between three possible punishments. So he chooses a, a three-day plague as opposed to the other ones, are being, attacked, uh, being pursued by your enemies or, some, or a famine. And so the plague happens, but then we see, then, then God says, tells the, God stops the plague by basically telling the angel, 
stop. So an angel was, was actually the force that was behind that plague, right? So tremendous power that the angels have. <clears throat> they have certain responsibilities, and I want to consider them with respect to the different persons. First, with regard to God, their office is to praise, bless, adore, and respond with perfect obedience to the will of God. Okay, And angels, by the way, um, every, every account that we have from saints and mystics is that they, they just love adoring God. You know, and then we have this problem because if we think of heaven, we're just going to adore God. That's going to be kind of boring, right? Oh, we're just going to keep, you know, it's beautiful light and everything. But no, we won't be bored. The angels aren't bored for eternity. They could just behold God and they're filled with everything their hearts desire by beholding God. So with respect to God, they are to adore him. They praise him. Again, we have accounts of them singing to God, praises. Um, and they respond with perfect obedience to God's will. He says, jump, they say, how high? Um, Then towards Jesus Christ, their office is to serve him. St. Paul says, let the angels of God adore him. Even as man, we'll talk about that later. Even as man, the angels serve Jesus Christ. Also, the angels have relationships between themselves, and there's an extreme hierarchy with angels. Okay, so they're not all equal. We'll talk about that later. But there are... um, some of them, their duty is to basically help the, the ones below them by giving them directions, instructions, and things like that. And then towards human beings, which I guess probably we're more interested in this, but the, uh, their duty in- includes um, our spiritual interests as well as material needs that are related to our heavenly destiny. So their main job is to help us get to heaven, which is our main job is to get to heaven. That's the main reason why we're created. Um, and the angels, angels are, are, are here, are involved in human affairs to, to help that to happen. Um, and also, they have providential care. The angels are assigned not just to believers, but we believe every human being, once conceived, has an angel assigned to them. So there, is a, there are many different names given for angels in Scripture. And during the Middle Ages, they classified all the angels into what are called the nine choirs of angels. Okay? So the seraphim comprehend God with maximum clarity. This is from the highest to the lowest. And therefore their love flames the hottest. If you look in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, you'll see he has a vision of heaven. He sees a seraphim, and it's described kind of strangely. They have, they have six wings. They have two that are covering their faces, two covering their body, and with two they're, they're flying. Cherubim means fullness of wisdom, and they contemplate God in his providence, which means his wise plan for us. And then there are what are called the thrones. Now, the thrones contemplate God's power and judgment. Now, before I go on, you'll notice another change in our Mass translation. So, before the Holy Holy, it used to be all the Eucharistic prayers had a very simple conclusion which led us to that, and the priest would say something to the effect of, and now with all the angels and saints, right? We declare glory. Well, for many of the Eucharistic prayers, you'll notice now, that's a little more detailed, right? For example, one of them says, and so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim. So mentioning, I think, six of the, of the, of the choirs of angels in that, in that Eucharistic prayer. So after these top three, so you have cherubim contemplate God's, 
God's wisdom and the thrones contemplate his, his will or power. Then you have the middle management. You have the dominions. So the dominions are, are responsible for commanding the angels below them who are the, um, <coughs> the virtues who are kind of responsible for kind of the whole universe and making sure that that all runs like it's supposed to stay running. And then the powers who fight against evil influences that oppose the virtue. So there are, we'll talk more later, about evil influences that are trying to damage the whole cosmos. So the, the powers ha- are defenders against those evil influences. Then there's the Department of Human Affairs. <laughs> so principalities care for whole areas or regions, cities, nations, kingdoms. Archangels carry important messages to man, and angels are the guardian angels, one for each individual. They're, I know they seem low, but they are still super powerful, okay? <laughs> I mean, low compared to what, right? You know, it's the the smallest center in the NBA or whatever. I mean, they're still big, okay? So let's talk about um, two of these that, that we celebrate liturgically. What are the two liturgical feasts we have for, uh, that in which we talk about angels? Guardian angels and the archangels, exactly. So let's talk about archangels first and guardian angels. And the archangels, I think we kind of, we celebrate them because they're, they're named. They're named and they have, uh, there's a lot about them in Scripture. Um, let's start with Michael. So you always see Michael um, over a dragon, usually, right? He's killing the dragon. That's from that, that passage of, of Revelations that I read, where he's the one who's, who's going to fight Satan and, and cast him out and, and cast him into, into hell for eternity. He is called the prince of the heavenly host. The host means what? army, right? So he's the, the main general of the army of angels, okay? Um, what does his name mean in Hebrew? I love this. Who is like God? It's a question, but it's a question like, no one's like God, right? Who, no one, who is like God? Nobody. The answer is nobody, okay? So we'll, we'll talk about why his name's actually the direct, almost like, answer to, to Satan and his pride. Okay. His name means who is like God. The battle cry of the good angels against Lucifer and his followers when they rebelled against God. He's mentioned four times in the Bible. Daniel chapters 10 and 12, in the letter of Jude, and in the book of Revelation. A Christian tradition recognizes four offices for Michael to fight against Satan, to rescue the souls of the faithful from the power of the enemy, especially at the hour of death, to be the champion of God's people, and to call away from earth and bring men's souls to judgment. The second archangel we want to talk about is Gabriel, who means, which, whose name means God's strength. He's mentioned four times in the Bible. What are his most important cameo appearances? Right, the Annunciation, um, uh, and also uh, when, he, when he told Zacharias that he would be the father of John the Baptist. Um, Christian tradition, it's not in the Bible, also suggests that he had appeared to St. Joseph uh, and that he appeared to the shepherds around Christmas, uh, at Christmas Day. And that it was he who strengthened Jesus during his agony in the garden. So that's another time it says the angels came to Jesus when he was in his agony in the garden. Then you have Raphael, which means what? God has healed. 
God. So what do we see in the book of uh, Tobit? One of the things he does, he's shown here with uh, Tobiah with a fish because he heals uh, the blindness of Tobit with the gallbladder of the fish, which, which, uh, which Raphael had given him. So he um, healed, yeah, healed him of blindness. He's identified with the angel in John 5, 1 through 4, who descended upon the pond and bestowed healing powers. Remember, there's a story of a pond that would get stirred up and people, uh, 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 not a pond, it's actually um, a pool uh, in Jerusalem that would get stirred up and there was a lame man that was next to it. There's a story in John's gospel. So it, the tradition says that it was, it was, Rafe, it was uh, uh, Raphael who was the one who stirred up the waters and caused the healings. So let's talk about guardian angels. So anyone, anyone learned this prayer when they were kids? Probably even before our generation. Okay, some of you did. So angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love, commit me here. Ever this day be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. This, this, this describes the, the office of the guardian angels. What is their job? To light and guard, to rule and guide. Um, every person, as I said, has one. Um, Peter Kraft says, what would life be without our guardian angels? We would be like sheep without shepherds surrounded by wolves. Or like hobbits without rangers surrounded by the black riders in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> if there were not guardian angels, Nazi Germany would be the best civilization in history. So part of it, you're thinking, boy, why don't the angels do more? Because things are pretty bad. Well, what would it be like if they weren't here? It, it would literally be hell on earth. <clears throat> and that's all it would be. Okay, so um, they're very, very important. There is, um, they're, they're constantly, they're defending us in ways we don't know. I mean, we don't know all the attacks of the enemy against us that they prevent or that they reduce or that they give us help when they, when they come. Uh, I like, I like uh, I'm going to talk later about some of the saints and angels, uh, saints and their relationship with angels, but I, I love the story of St. Jose Maria Escriva. Who, um, whose alarm clock was broken one time, and he, and he couldn't afford to fix it. And he actually couldn't afford to fix it for years. So basically, he asked his guardian angel to always wake him up on time, and he never slept in. Um, he also had a habit, which is a good habit, I think. Before he would actually talk to a person, he would greet their guardian angel. And one time, uh, one of the bishops said, Jose Maria, you always seem to be able to you know, convince people of, to, you know, of something, and he says, "It's not fair. It's three against one. I get my angel and their angel and me uh, when I'm when I'm asking for it. So it's not fair." Okay, let's talk about the fallen angels, demons. We call them. They are also by nature spirits. They were created by God. They are originally good. They were originally good, but they fell into sin of their own free will, and that they are eternally damned. So. Um, we see the presence again of, of uh, the devil throughout scripture and of demons. What's one of the big things Jesus spent a lot of time doing? Exorcisms. It's all throughout the scriptures. People who were possessed by demons, he cast them out. Remember the war in heaven, of course. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about Lucifer's fall because of his pride. There's a, um, uh, there's a Jewish tradition that when God showed the angels that he was going to create man and said that they would have to bow before man, that Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God. 
wouldn't want to do that. The Christian version of a tradition is that God, the, God showed them that the incarnation, that the word would become flesh and become man. And the angels basically were so superior to, to the physical matter that they, they would not accept this condescension of God and they would not certainly condescend to, to bow before a, a human being. So we don't really know, but ultimately it is a sin of pride where uh, Milton put it best in Paradise Lost where Satan said, I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Um, my will, not your will, be done. Uh, it's, it's basically what the rebellion is about. We know, we know that temptation in our own lives. The thing with the angels is this. They don't have a chance to repent because they don't exist in time. So they're beyond the space-time continuum. They know all the consequences of their action in, the, in their fullness when they first took it. So God originally created them. This was their one test, in a sense, whatever the test was. Remember Adam and Eve had their test? This was their one test, but because they were not creatures in time, they're eternal. They, had, they, they make a decision for eternity. They don't have regret. They're like, oh, I didn't know that. They don't say that. Um, they, they, they understand what it is that they're choosing. And so they've chosen it for all eternity. Okay? Um, if you, I, I encourage you not, okay, so, sorry, we have um, the temptation there. We have the serpent at the beginning. Um, I would encourage you, if you uh, are interested in demonic things, not to spend too much time reading about it. <laughs> um, it's, not, it's not that important. But one book I would recommend is actually not the movie, the book. It's a good read, called The Right by Matt Bagley. It's the best book I've read. It was a journalist who accompanied an American priest to Rome when he was getting trained for exorcisms. The journalist was not a believer in this stuff before he accompanied the priest. And he ta- describes things that are chilling on the one hand, but also that are really a strong affirmation of the, the reality of demons, the reality of the whole supernatural um, world, uh, and, and of the power of God, too, and the power of the church. So the, the biggest thing, um, Peter Kraft, again, talks about why it's important to be aware of what he calls spiritual warfare. So there is a constant battle happening between the angels and the demons. Okay, Constant battle that is happening between the angels and the demons. We are a part of that even when we don't realize that. And St. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, and the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Whenever we think about, um, you know, I mean, as Christians, you know, what do we, what do we fight? Who do we fight? Our real enemies are not other human beings. Other human beings might be working for Satan, although in most cases not completely wittingly. Usually, it's just to to a great degree deceived. Um, and so, and so, in some sense, we should have uh, always have certain certainly compassion for them and want their conversion. But the 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 the, the, the devil and the demons are um, are are sworn enemies forever. There's no chance of their conversion, and they want us to end up where they're at. They, they know that it hurts God uh, to, to, for, for us to reject him. Uh, and so that's, in a sense, the only way that they can hurt God. They can't hurt God in himself. They hurt God through his children. Um, so, but the importance of this, so important. Uh, Christ says, on, on a battlefield, when you realize you're on a battlefield, a matter of life or death appears exactly as what it is, a matter of life or death, everything else. Even the IRS or your in-laws or your sexual needs appear as exactly what it is, not a matter of life and death. 
clarifies things, right? Helps you understand what's really important when you understand that there's a spiritual war that, that goes on. Real quick, three levels of demonic influence. So temptations are, again, the, they can suggest things to our imagination, uh, suggest thoughts that can arouse our, our selfishness and confuse us. So the main way the devil works is through lying. We see at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. So oftentimes, um, Scripture says Satan can appear like an angel of light. Many times, some of the times the rationalizations we do to justify sin are being helped along by then that voice you know, telling us, yeah, oh, it isn't so bad, or everyone else is doing it, or whatever, the, whatever it is are the things that, that you, you almost have, you sense someone suggesting to you. Um, oppression is much more serious. Involved can sometimes involve physical manifestations, great sorrow, fear, and anxiety, um, or, or, or just kind of strange things that are happening around someone's life. Possession is when a demon takes control of a person's body and degrades their will to a significant de- uh, degree. Uh, for someone to be possessed, they have to invite, invite these demons in. But that doesn't mean that they make a pact with the devil. It could be in, in being involved in other occult. Any kind of occult, the church says, is a sin against the first, uh, first commandment and also very dangerous. I can tell you this. I know a lot of priests who are involved in deliverance ministries, and they will tell you, that it is, it is involvement in the cult, which, which most often leads to oppression in possession. What is the cult? What's the example, right? Ouija boards, right? Even um, trying to channel spirits. I mean, yeah, these guys on TV, they might be getting a spirit telling them stuff, but it's not, it may not be the spirit of that person they're talking to. It may be a, a demon that is telling them things. Okay, so the church cautions us against any kind of, in all these things, it's a temptation to have a supernatural power for ourselves to do what we want. What's different with prayer? With prayer, we ask God for something, but ultimately, what do we do? We accept that God knows what's best for us. We trust in his will. Magic, the occult, is I'm going to control these powers to get what I want. Um, They're always, always dangerous. We're going to wrap up real quick here. I'm not going to probably go through all that. Um, We shouldn't be afraid. Real quick, um, this is just a little... For illustration for kids, this is from Ephesians 2 about how we fight this spiritual battle, the, the, uh, the uh, belt of truth, the um, shield of faith, the, uh, the gospel of peace as our shoes, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. And all these things are put into play and intensified through prayer, sacraments, sacramentals, scripture. These are all of our, our um, weapons in the spiritual warfare. Um, and Jesus, though, assures us that he has given us power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. So remember, Jesus sent out the disciples, 72 disciples, and they did exorcisms as well. So we shouldn't live in fear um, of demons. You shouldn't be afraid of them. The biggest danger they pose to you is to work with your own selfish nature, work with the, old, the corruption of the world that already is exists, to, to deceive you about what's true and what God wants and what you should be doing with your life. Um, just real quick, um, some great angel stories. I would in- encourage you. I'll probably I'll post it on Facebook. There's a whole website of Lives of the Saints as they interacted with angels. Um, you know, Padre Pio was awesome. The one time a guy said that he had <clears throat> sent his guardian angel to... Uh, to ask him for, for something, and he, he ended up meeting Padre Pio, and he says, did you know that? He said, what do you think? Do you think I'm hard of hearing? 
Of course, I, of course I, I heard what your, what your angel uh, came to tell me. Um, St. Uh, John Bosco, whenever he w- uh, uh, he'd be in mortal danger, this gray dog would appear. And they called him Grigio, but he would appear and disappear. And at, the stri- at, at times, just out of nowhere, when he was in danger, one time the dog blocked him from walking out the door. It turned out there was two people that were waiting to assault him um, that, that evening. So even they can come in the form of animals, um, according to the lives of the saints. Um, but I'll just leave you with a little bit from St. Faustina. She was a Polish nun that brought us the Divine Mercy devotion. And uh, just a couple. She has a lot of, of experiences with angels. Um, but I'll, I'll leave you with this one. She says, One day, while I was in adoration, my soul suffered atrociously, and I was not able to hold back the tears. Then I saw a spirit of incredible beauty that said to me, The Lord orders you not to cry. After an instant, I asked, Who are you? And he replied, I am one of the seven spirits who stay night and day at the throne of God and praise him constantly. Yet that spirit did not quench my nostalgia for God. Rather, it was augmented. The beauty of the spirit derives from the close union with God. He does not leave me even for an instant. He accompanies me everywhere. The next day during the Mass, before the elevation, he began to sing these words, Holy, holy, holy. And his hymn, impossible to describe, sounded like the voice of thousands of people in an immense chorus of heavenly harmony. Another story. Once the saint caught sight of a cherub guarding the convent she was staying in. My daughter, from the first moment in which this assignment was entrusted to you, I put a cherub as a guard. Therefore, you must not have any fear. After returning to my union with the Lord, I noticed that the cherub had a bolt of lightning in his hands. So, most of us aren't going to have those kinds of experiences, but I have to think that part of our... um, that if we are truly trying to conform our wills to God's, if we're persons of prayer, we will be more open to the ways in which, um, to our relationship with, with the angels who are on our team, um, who are involved in our lives, and just to, um, uh, the confines of this world will not, we'll be able to see through them to this other reality that exists. Um, so let's conclude with, if you know it, you can pray it with me. I'm sorry I didn't print it up there. It's a prayer of the Saint Michael, Arch, uh, to Saint Michael the Archangel. Uh, all right. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. You don't know how much it warms my heart that so many of you know that. That's amazing, by the way. Thank you. Thank you.